I'm loving our theme for the year and the verses up there and the key things that come from it is knowing God, growing in our knowledge of the Lord and then with a view of being sent out, equipped into our world, into our circumstances, into our neighbourhood. And we've been going through a series, which as we come up to Easter, we're going to interrupt, but we're almost at the end of it, on what we've called rhythms of grace, which is a way of talking about spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines sound like a little bit harsh, like effort, and, and if that's what they become, that's a form of legalism. But a rhythm is something that you repeat, whether musically, a pattern in life or whatever else. It's something that you repeat and that you get into a flow of. And Jesus said, if you're tired and you're weary, come to me and learn from me, and I love this phrase, the unforced rhythms of grace. And so a spiritual discipline is something that we do in a rhythm, in a pattern. We do it regularly. We don't get hung up if we miss it or get it wrong sometime, but we do it regularly. And it puts us in a place where God's grace can work in us. And today we're going to talk about fellowship, the spiritual discipline of fellowship, experiencing life together. And the word fellowship, many of you would know, is the Greek word kononia. And it is a powerful word in the New Testament. But David Matthias said this, it is unfortunate that the word fellowship, and he's speaking about this Greek word kononia, is dying the death of domestication and triviality. It is an electric reality in the New Testament and an indispensable ingredient in the Christian faith and one of God's chief means of grace in our lives. When I read that, I was really drawn and almost pushed back a little bit by that thought that we've domesticated this word fellowship, this dynamic word that's found over and over again in the New Testament as describes that church advancing against incredible odds, facing incredible difficulties. And this fellowship, this thing that bound them together was this powerful thing. It wasn't domesticated. It wasn't tamed. And it wasn't a trivial thing. It wasn't just, hey, let's get together for pizza. And there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of what their gatherings were around meals and that can be a great way. But if that's all it is, it's trivialized and it's far bigger than that. I came across somebody that was a little thing. It's a little bit humorous. I found it anyway. So just support me in this. I was in a news bulletin and it was trying to highlight the thing that we can minimise and diminish the role of the church. And I'm speaking of the body of Christ in our lives, not the church building or even the church service in and of itself. And it was promoting, tongue in cheek, the light church, the light church. 25% fewer commitments than other churches. Guaranteed to trim off guilt and shame. Home of the 7.5% tithe. <laughs> Only 30-minute worship services. Guaranteed seven-minute sermons. This is not a light church. <laughs> Settle down back there. <laughs> Only six commandments. Your choice. <laughs> Offering every second week <laughs> and only an 800 year millennium, not a thousand year one. 
The new improved light church could be just what you're looking for. Everything that you want in the church and less. Well, we're not that kind of church, but it made me smile in the concept of trivialising this thing called fellowship. And part of the great challenge is we're living in a society that increasingly glorifies individualism. We're moving away from community and that sense of doing life together into more of an individual, you know what I'm saying, where everyone's doing their own thing and there's no sense of community, of belonging, of connecting and where no real accountability is required. But this concept of fellowship is deeply ingrained in the fellowship that the members of the Godhead have with each other, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It's a deep word, it's a powerful word and it's into that fellowship we are invited. And so I want to talk just a little bit about the foundation of fellowship because first and foremost our fellowship is with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. John, the beloved apostle, says this in 1 John 1 and verse 3. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So this is the same word, cornonia, that is used to describe fellowship between believers. And he says, we want to invite you into a fellowship based around what we've seen and heard and experienced and lived in unknowing and growing with Jesus and walking with Him. And he says, you need to understand the heart of this fellowship is with our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. In 1, John, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, Paul says, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This cononia, you've been called into a fellowship, a relationship with Jesus. And that becomes the foundation of our fellowship. The Apostle Paul, in giving a benediction in 2 Corinthians, a blessing, And I love this. It's one of my favourite blessings, declarations that you can speak over your own life or over others. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Isn't that powerful? So this word kononia is used to describe fellowship with Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And John Stott, a great Bible scholar, said this about that phrase, that the word fellowship was born on the day of Pentecost, that in the coming of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the birthing of the church, of these believers who had gathered together, initially afraid and hiding, but now emboldened and proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Saviour, crucified, resurrected, glorified, He says the Holy Spirit birthed this concept of fellowship that was eternally between Father, Son and Holy Spirit and now inviting us into that fellowship which becomes the foundation of our fellowship with each other. And not only did the early church devote itself to the apostles' teaching, and I want to stress the word devoted because it lists a number of things. But they devoted themselves to fellowship. Let's read that in Acts 2 verse 42 and then the outworking of it in verse 44. 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The same word that's used to, this, we've talked about so far, the fellowship between Father, Son and Holy Spirit into which we are invited. And all believers, verse 44, were together and had everything in common. And that was in response to a very dramatic practical need in the church. But the spirit of that should still be something that captures our heart when it comes to talking about fellowship with fellow believers. John Wright, the British theologian, says that as human beings, we are designed to find our purpose and meaning, not simply in ourselves, but in one another. And I'd suggest to you that you cannot fulfill your destiny, the plan, the purpose that God has for you by yourself. That there's a whole lot of things that are in the hands of other people. Now, God is sovereign in direct directing and leading and causing you to overcome. People aren't sovereign in that sense. But God brings people into our lives that add value, that increase, that sometimes through the struggle and the, the pressure of the relationship actually grow you in Christ and fellowship is deepened rather than fractured. We are called to belong, not just to believe. And that's a theme that occurs throughout the New Testament, the sense of belonging to the family of God. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3.15. The peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. And none of this going off and doing your own thing and cultivate thankfulness. This whole thing that we connected, we invited to experience life together. And that's why for us, our life groups and our serve teams are such an important point of connecting. And the serve teams are not just meant to get things done, and I'm thankful that they do. And pre-service is a gathering of 40 or more people who are serving right now in different places, and that's important. But it's also in the serving, we're connecting, we're caring, we check it up on each other in a good way. You understand what I'm saying? It's those breaking down of relationship into smaller groups and becomes so powerful as a means of grace, as a spiritual discipline, a rhythm of grace that transforms our lives. Even in Eden's perfect sinless environment, God said it's not good for man to be alone. And while you may want to just direct that to men, and there's a lot of evidence that men should not be left alone to their own devices. I'd be the first to acknowledge that. He's actually speaking something over humanity, over all of us. It's not good for us to do life alone. And I think one of the great challenges of this post-COVID period is people reconnecting in significant ways because it drummed into us was to isolate, was to separate, was to distance. And we understand overall the context of that, but it's like we've got to recapture this thing called fellowship this cononia, this intimacy of Father, Son, Holy Spirit that we're invited into and then invited to share amongst ourselves. Rick Warren says we are created for community. We are fashioned for fellowship, formed for a family and none of us can fulfill God's purposes by ourselves. 
This miraculous thing takes place when you say yes to Jesus. And if you haven't yet done that and you're on a journey, that's great. And ask questions and we'll do our best to answer. And at the end of the service, you'll be given an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to make him Lord and Saviour. But in that moment, you're connected to Christ. You're born again. The Holy Spirit makes you alive to God. Because the Bible says you were dead in trespasses and sin and you're now made alive to God and all the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness that Jesus accomplished on the cross is poured out on us. But at the same time, you are baptised into the body of Christ. And the word baptised is to be immersed, to be saturated, to be placed in. Today at the city location, we've got a baptism service and I love it. And we do baptism by full immersion. It's a step of obedience in following Jesus and obeying his command. And they will be immersed. Now, we will be merciful and based on families' comments about how long we keep them under. No, we just, you know, but for that moment, they are immersed, saturated. That's the word, that's the concept of being immersed into the body of Christ. We are added to Christ's body. Paul says in Romans 12, 5, in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to the others. You belong to me, I belong to you. How was that, Ricky? That was terrible pitch in English, wasn't it? But it's getting there. But that whole sense, we actually belong to each other, Paul says in the body of Christ. Diverse and many of us, but we belong to each other. To Paul, and he invents this concept of membership, and again, that's become watered down in our society, but this sense of being a member of the church is viewed as being a vital organ of a living body, indispensable, interconnected, part of the body of Christ. Dare I say, and I'm going to say it because I do dare to say it, The person who says, I don't need church to be a Christian is either arrogant or ignorant. You don't need church to be saved. Salvation is not found in the church, but having come to Christ, God says, I want you to be in the body, connected with all the bumps and the good things and the different things that can go on and the imperfections of when we come together and all of that. He says, I want you to be connected in my body. I want you to belong. The church is so significant to Jesus that it says he died to birth the church. In Ephesians 5 and verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let's rephrase that and make it very personal. Christ so loved the church, he died for us and gave himself up up for us. Yes, individually, but also as the body of Christ, the gathering, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church of the living God. All the New Testament writers pick up on the sense of belonging and connecting. And in 1 Peter 2.17, and I love the way Peter kind of follows this train of thought. He says, live as free people. And then he says, just a verse later, live as God's slaves. Just pause and think about that. 
I'm not going to go on a tangent on that, but I just want you to see the context. Live as free people, live as God's slaves. Then he says, treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family. Revere God and respect the government. Isn't there a whole lot of stuff we could just unpack with that? But notice that exhortation. Yeah, you're free, but you're a slave of God. You're not your own, you're bought with a price. But he says, love your spiritual family. And I'd be the first to admit we're not always that easy to love. I'm speaking of myself. You you may be just so adorable and lovable is your expression of the body of Christ. And we have some unpleasant experiences sometimes and we get things wrong and sometimes there is bad things that happen in church life. But he's saying, I, you need to love the family of God. Love the family of God. So I've laid a foundation for this concept of fellowship that is between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And in birthing the church, we are drawn into it, invited into it. Yeah, to have fellowship with Father, Son and Holy Spirit, but to have fellowship with each other. And so I want to talk about some of the practices of fellowship. And really these are dot points that I'm just going to highlight. I've disciplined myself to give you in most instances just one verse. But it's as a thought, as a concept of what's actually spoken of in many other passages of Scripture. But fellowship is a shared life founded on grace with others who love and are passionate about Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul, uh, not Paul, John says in 1 John 1 and verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. It's one of the first verses I learned, along with the one that in the same passage, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But as I was preparing this, it struck me that there's a very interesting connection between two concepts in this one sentence. And it hadn't seemed that obvious to me before. If we walk in the light, so we're in a relationship with God and we walk in the light of his um, character, the light of his, our relationship with him, the light of God's word, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And it's suddenly dawned on me, this whole fellowship thing has to be immersed in grace. Because he says, you're walking in the light, so hopefully you're getting more things right than wrong, but it's not a claim to perfection. And that walking in the light connects us in fellowship. And the result of that is we need forgiveness. We need grace. Even in our interactions, there are going to be things that are going to be misunderstood, things that are misplaced, wrong in the way we do things. But in that fellowship and in that walking on light, there is grace to forgive. And so we can move forward and grow in our relationships rather than be fractured in our relationships. 
When we talk about fellowship, it includes things like corporate gatherings of worship like this, growing and serving and small groups and, and all sorts of things. In fact, there are 59 different statements in the New Testament of what we ought to be doing one for another. And we're going to go through each one in detail. No, we're not. We're going to, but 59 of things as, as believers we should be doing one for another as part of this fellowship. So the scripture is rich in instructing us on how we should fellowship together. Rick Warren said, if you're tired of fake fellowship and would like to cultivate genuine fellowship in a loving community, you need to make some tough choices and take some risks of disconnecting, of belonging, of making some effort to put yourself in a place where there's these interactions, this fellowship and this grace that is flowing. And so here are the dot points of trying to summarize all the scripture says about fellowship. Number one, and I love this, fellowship is about diversity. God so loved the world, not just a section of the world, not just certain people groups within the world. He loved the world in all our uniqueness, our diversity, our, our cultures and everything else that we bring when we gather together around the name of Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I love this little insight into the end of time in the book of Revelation where John says, I looked and before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language. And what unites us? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. But notice the incredible diversity Every nation, tribe, people and language. I forget the actual figure of how many languages are dying around the world, but they're not forgotten before the throne of God because in the language there's representation of people and culture. And God says all of that comes together before the throne and before the Lamb of God. So there's incredible diversity. And it's one of the things I love about our congregations is the diversity, not just in background and culture and ethnicity and that, but even in what people do for work or what they do in life, not just work. The second thing is there needs to be authenticity. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, and we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. We don't just love to speak the truth and dump on people and walk away. And we don't just love and avoid the truth. There's this incredible balance, this challenge of speaking the truth in love. To what end? So that we grow in Christ and we become a fuller expression of the body of Christ. So there needs to be that honesty, that authenticity around our relationships. And that can be challenging sometimes. So there's diversity, there's authenticity, there's mutuality 
And I did a lot of research to find if I can't found another word that was simpler, easier. But it's what we have in common, but what ties us together. And Romans 12 and verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. That's speaking to the sense of as we gather, that our mutuality, our belonging, there's no elitism. Yeah, there's leadership, but not elitism. There's manifestation of gifts in different ways, but it's not elitist and never should be. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, so encourage one another and build each other up. And then he assures the church of Thessalonica, you're doing good with this. Well done, keep it up. But it's a reminder that in our gathering, there's encouragement. We're seeking to build each other up, not pull people down. And so that we can grow up in Christ. The fourth one is there's mercy and there's compassion. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Be kind. It's such an underrated word, that kindness. And the Bible speaks of the kindness of God towards us. And while we might be drawn to his majesty, his power, his omnipotence, omniscience, and all those incredible things that he truly is, and he is all of those things. God's kindness towards us is extraordinary. And he's saying, I want you to be kind one to another. And what flows from this verse is the whole issue of forgiveness, which I'm going to touch on in a moment. And like I said, these are dot points. I'm just touching on these things. They're messages in and of themselves. But be kind and compassionate. Give some people room for mistakes and getting things wrong or, or misspeaking or, you know. And as I look around in our world today and it seems that the unkindness quotient has just dramatically gone up, exacerbated by social media and other things and, you know. He says, no, you be different, be kind, be compassionate. Give somebody a break. Give somebody some encouragement. And then there's the issue of mercy. Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, post it on Twitter. Publicize it on Facebook. Scold somebody publicly. No. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgiveness is never easy. And it's complicated sometimes. And it doesn't mean that you remain in a place of abuse, but forgiveness reaches beyond all of that. But notice that little introduction to the forgiveness. Bear with each other. Put up with each other. 
And sometimes that is, I, I don't agree with you, speaking generally. I, I don't appreciate the way you did that, but I'm not going to make a big deal about it. And they said, actually, it is a big deal. I, I'll bear with it. And I'll be forgiving and, and gracious and as kind as I can in the situation. Which requires the next thing that makes fellowship work, and, and that's humility. It's kind of expressed by James, the half-brother of, of Jesus, who's very blunt and direct. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And we're not going to start a tradition of one by one each week, 10 people coming up on stage and telling us all your failures and your sins. This is in the context of relationship. That where you've messed up, you admit it, you acknowledge it. And that takes great humility. I got that. You know, the, the wrong word. I got it wrong. Got it wrong. Self-importance, smugness and stubborn pride destroy fellowship faster than anything else, says Rick Warren. Seven, courtesy. We're landing. Remember, we're not doing all 59, just 50. We're not. Courtesy. The book of Titus, and it's talking about how we ought to behave as the body of Christ and behave in relation to each other and to people who are outside of the church. He says, be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. And then he says, for you, for we ourselves were once, and he lists a whole lot of stuff that we were. And he's reminding them, remember you weren't perfect. But there's a lot of powerful statements in that. But just that whole thing of express and show perfect courtesy. Manners is literally what it's referring to. Just have good manners in the way you treat people. The second last one is confidentiality, which is inferred in the previous verse of speak evil of no one. But Proverbs 16 verse 28 says, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife and gossip separates the best of friends. You know, the whole thing of telling your story to everybody you can find rather than going to the person and trying to work it out with them and letting forgiveness and grace and mercy flow in the relationship. The whole issue of gossiping is so destructive and just look it up and you'll see the scripture has much to say about it. But the final thing that is essential to this fellowship thing is found in Hebrews 10, 24, 25. So let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. This whole thing of finding space, yeah, in worship and in gathering in our online community and campus. But there's this also thing of how do I connect to people? And he said, don't stop doing that. 
connecting to other Christians who can speak into your life, who can challenge you, sometimes of the sandpaper in your life, refining things and all the stuff that I kind of touched on because this fellowship thing, this cononia is a powerful thing in transforming your life, in helping you grow in the things of God, in fulfilling your destiny. A habit is something you do frequently. So let us consider how we can spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And so let's just reflect a little bit. If you want an outline of these notes, you can go to our website, I believe, and also to our church app. And the notes, the outline is actually there and you can read through it and have a look at it. And just reflect, how am I doing with that? Is there growth in my life that's needed in this? Or maybe for some, it's just, wow, I didn't realize that. But our starting point is that we are invited to have fellowship with God. And our sinfulness and our brokenness is what separates us from God. In fact, the Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sin. But God... But God, who is rich in mercy, pours out grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, who went to the cross, taking all our pain, our suffering, paid the penalty for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. Because in reality, we could never pay the penalty of our sins by ourselves. And you simply receive it because it's a thing of grace. It's not earned, it's not deserved. Because the whole idea of, I just need to do more good things than bad things so that on the scales of God's justice, I don't get tipped into eternal separation from Him that we refer to as hell. The biggest problem with that concept is not only is it totally unbiblical and anti all that Jesus did for us, But the question is, how do you know when you've done enough good things? And wouldn't it be terrible if you got to eternity to face the judgment of God and you missed out by one good thing? Just You could have made a little bit of effort that one day or that one week. It's such a weird concept that. But that's not what following Jesus is about. Following Jesus is receiving freely all that He accomplished for us in His death is resurrection and glorification. It's receiving, it's saying yes. 